0: As I said in episode 900, my update about dropping this podcast back to one a week for a while for health reasons, I'm going to be sharing brand new episodes only on Mondays for a while. I'm going to use my usual Wednesday and Friday slots to reshare some excellent older episodes.
1: What follows is one of those interviews. There were two of us in a confined space for two years. Yeah, until we moved on to a bigger space. But that was
0: two years of contending with my personality. It, You're probably scarred for life. Right? A little bit, but <laughs>
1: no. It was. We had fun. Yeah, and we did some good stuff.
0: Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My friend Lou Levine was my first hire at NGP Software Inc. and someone who has been a key employee through the company's growth over the past 20 years. He's seen a lot and learned a lot along the way. Lou stopped by my house recently to record this episode. Lou is now a general manager at NGP Van Every Action, which is, for those who don't know, a leading provider of web-based software tools for campaigning to Democrats and their allies, including tools for political fundraising and political compliance, which are the business lines that Lou now manages. He's been steeped in democratic politics and technology forever now, so everyone in and around that space knows him. Lou's not short on personality. If this podcast were not such a highly serious venue, I could regale you with Lou stories for the whole hour. And he could do the same about me, but you'd have to take his with a grain of salt. Lou and I had a good conversation about what he and the company are up to lately, including some talk about our early days and lessons learned in helping grow a company from two people to now 350 people or more. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, I hope you'll take the time to listen to my interview with Lewis Levine, General Manager of NGP Van Every Action.
1: This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G R A P H I C A C Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world.
0: Hi, Lou. Hi, Nathaniel. <laughs> well, this is going to be a little bit different, I think. Well, why don't I start out the same way? Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
1: Sure. Uh, Lou Levine. I'm the general manager for political fundraising and compliance at NGP Van. You hired me many, many years ago, and I have never left. (laughs) How many years ago? Uh, It was 20 years this year.
0: What was the first time you met me then?
1: I was looking to move down here just to figure out my next move. To D.C. Exactly. A professor hooked me up with a job ad in, I believe it was Roll Call or Campaigns and Elections. I placed
0: one ad in Roll Call. I had maybe 60 clients at the time, and I was a one-man firm, and the tech support was starting to kill me.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And so my professor said, hey, Lou, you might like this. Thanks, Professor Pitney, shout out right there. And- uh, From
0: Claremont McKenna, if I remember correctly.
1: Correct. Yeah. And I came down here, I knocked on the door, there was no one here, I called you, like, am I at the right place? So yeah, come around back. You were in the backyard in a hammock. Is that true? I don't think we had a hammock. (laughs) You were in the backyard. (laughs) (laughs) The myth myth changes. (laughs) You were definitely in the backyard. (laughs) You know, looking uh, disheveled. (laughs) Impossible. (laughs) But we started talking there. And, you know, after a few, you led me up into your attic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So back in that day, I worked out of the attic of my house and had a few folding tables set up. And the company was run there. I used to go down to Capitol Hill, talk to congressmen or their aides or the fundraisers and get them to use this software package for fundraising and compliance, and you walked into this job as tech support.
1: That was really it. It was a pretty vague ad, and I thought, what, sure, why not? What were you doing at the time? Uh, at the time, I was literally trying to figure out my next move. I had just graduated I You college. were temping. I, exactly. I was, <laughs> I was temping. I had just graduated. I was still living with my parents in New York. And, and the, you were how old? Uh, Technically 21 when you hired me. Okay.
0: The company now, so it doubled in size when I hired you, but the company now, how many people work in there?
1: Roughly 350.
0: So it's grown some. A little bit. How much of the credit for the growth from two to 350 do you take?
1: Ooh. Some greater than zero percentage, but I will not take a lot of the credit. <laughs> I stand on the shoulders of a lot of awesome people.
0: <laughs> One of the moments that comes back to me, I did not have a plan for hiring when I started the company. <laughs> I did not know a lot about business, but I was definitely interested in, in serving Democrats in the space and doing it with technology. And one of the things that I remember you saying to me somewhere along the line is like, well, we have this many clients, but we should get all of them. We should get all of the Democrats in in the House, in the Senate, and so on. And that, I think, that affected my vision at the time. (laughs) Do you remember saying that?
1: I I do, actually. (laughs) I remember I was always politically oriented. You know, was never hardcore, but grew up... Democratic household, union household, college dems, in, but was never like super, I'm going to be political yep. with my life. But yeah, you know, I wondered why aren't we serving Republicans? Because that was pretty uncommon at the time.
0: Yeah, I didn't really want to. I, uh, how technical were you?
1: Well, semi technical, I guess I would say. I was the computer lab guy in college. I had taken a few programming classes. I had had some jobs where I was building computers, was doing some... I think you like, were certified
0: uh, to repair Hewlett-Packard printers or that, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> that is disturbingly accurate, yes.
1: <laughs> in Australia, I repaired printers. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned over time
0: being along for the ride in a company that went from two people to 350
1: people? That is a very loaded question, <laughs> but we did... A lot of paired programming, actually, back in the day. I think before that was even a thing, paired programming, but you would code and I would look over your shoulder and be like, what about this, what about this? It
0: was uh, a while before I let you loosen
1: the code base. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was VBA back in the day, yeah. but I picked it up yep. and was able to eventually kind of own our old desktop software. When we switched to a web-based software, I stayed supporting the desktop software for a while. I picked up a lot of the SQL as well. So there there were some hard skills, obviously, but I think my tendencies tended towards the business end of things as the company grew and evolved.
0: You said you were general manager. And I remember asking Amanda, who's another general manager that I interviewed a while ago, what is a general manager? But I've forgotten. What what is a general manager at NGP Van?
1: Well, so... A while back, we instituted this idea of matrix management. We'll use me as an example. I know my business line really well. I know the clients, the needs of the fundraising community, the compliance community. or like I like to think I know it pretty well. How about that?
0: You've been around that space for a I've, good long time. <laughs>
1: exactly. While I've run many of the teams at various times, The support team, the data services team, the engineering team, the IT team, there are people out there that do it better, that have done this professionally for a while. And I came by it in a homegrown way. And I think what we found worked for us is that we wanted people who knew and cared about and were focused on the business lines at NGP Every Action. And we also wanted people who were excellent at their chosen field and could run those departments and we all work together towards the best outcome
0: there's something very different about when you're five person team or a 15 person team and everybody's sort of pitching in. we used to have engineers doing tech support we had all kinds of carnage i remember yeah it was great and, <laughs> in a certain way it was pretty fun and i think it served clients in the short term but as you grow you have to specialize and necessarily, I think, and create hierarchy and roles and some of those things. I chafed that, I think, quite a bit, but definitely. Uh, <laughs> what would you say were some of the pivotal points of change?
1: Wow, there there have definitely been a couple. One of the things I do is kind of give new hires the quick history of the company. I think one of the biggest points was when we picked up Hillary Clinton in her first Senate run. and That's 2000. It was 99, actually. Yeah, but it's yeah, the 2000 The 2000 race, run, yeah. exactly. And they were having trouble running their FEC report. They on called, some
0: competitive software.
1: No comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they asked, hey, can you help us do this? We can't run our report on our current program. So we crashed on that. We had to make a bunch of improvements to support what was then a ginormous report. Yeah. At the time, there was no electronic filing for anyone and they had to print out a thousand page report. We were on call to help print the report. I
0: think we were printing it here while they were printing it there. Exactly. As a yeah,
1: exactly. We started from the back. They started from the front <laughs> because we didn't think the printer could actually keep up. <laughs> that was our first big customer. At the time, there was no sales staff. The sales staff was you or me, and we relied very heavily on... It was just
0: the two of us, and we had a whole
1: lot of clients by then. Exactly, and it was pretty much all word of mouth, so we didn't have much of a marketing budget back then.
0: A lot of the people I've been talking to on this podcast have started their own progressive political technology ventures. There's a whole slew of them out there right now. Like In our day, there were a lot of campaign software companies that we competed with, but... There's a lot more now, there's a lot more money. How do you view those folks that are out there trying to add innovation to the space?
1: There's a lot that needs to get done. And I think the space in general has, well, it's definitely evolved over the last 20 years. But there are a lot of places where efficiency innovation can be meaningful and have impact and you know at the end of the day what are we here to do actually win elections right so there are a number of companies out there doing cool things that will actually help and have impact not all of them will and that's kind of the nature of the marketplace people realize there is change to be made and you know a successful business that can be run
0: so since ngp and Van are in pretty wide use in the political space. How can other companies work with with NGP being there? How can data be related?
1: Well, we do have APIs, for example. And I think, you know, data exchange has always been you know something that we've had to work on hell, as a a space entirely. Every campaign, every organization has multiple streams of data. You know, we are fortunate that we have effectively two different databases of record that we work with on the NGP side that often is the database of record for a campaign's financials because that is what they have to report to the FEC, that has to be the source of for the state election For the state yeah, yeah. or any of those and on the van side generally that has been the same as well vote builder or the other permutations that becomes the database of records so we've done a lot of work just over the last let's call it over the last decade to constantly improve on how we're how we're better working with partners but also how are we handling APIs do we have more apis do we have the things we need? And so on and so forth.
0: So who are the clients that are taking your personal time these
1: days? Well, there is a presidential election coming up in 2020, and we had 26 different campaigns.
0: 26 different primary Democrats that are using us for what, mainly?
1: All of them are using us to track their fundraising, to do their filings, and various other pieces around that some of them are using it to track their political outreach and some of them are using it for organizing some of them are using it for various other crm purposes also email online fundraising once you get into that we're doing a lot of different things for each campaign none of them are the same but we're working pretty closely with all of them
0: and do you get to personally visit these campaigns ever or interact some with them? Some
1: of them I do, yeah. some of them I don't. Yeah. When there are problems, I will sometimes have to step in to fix them. For a number of them, we've been doing site visits and we try and sit down with them figure out what are you doing well, what are you not doing well, what are your pain points, how can we better help you, how can you make better use of the tools, all the stuff that kind of comes with taking care of a high-profile customer.
0: Do you think we do a good job of that?
1: I think so. We certainly try to be, obviously. We obviously have to stay neutral in all of this. We can't show favoritism to any of them. That is very true. But basically, we try and make sure that we're giving them everything we can and we're also being fair. Anything one is able to get, the others are able to get, too. So I like to think we're a good partner to them. I hope everyone thinks we're a good partner to them at least in your
0: area, in Mm -hmm. fundraising and compliance, do you think there are gaps in what we're delivering? Do you think that the technology could be better? If there are gaps, do you think some of that's being filled in by other apps that relate to ours? How how do you see the state of technology for Democrats in the area that you have your expertise?
1: Sure. I I think NGP, VAN specifically, we provide a lot and offer a lot of different options And we have a lot of different tools. We have a lot of different versions of our tools. I'll focus kind of on what all the presidentials are using, which is our newest platform, NGP8. We offer a lot there. Obviously, they can do all sorts of slicing and dicing and tracking of all of their fundraising. They're using a lot of it for high-dollar fundraising. We actually rolled out a new tool to help manage raisers and the the high dollar razors and bundlers for campaigns. This was kind of a tool that was born out of the Hillary campaign. Initially, we didn't build it for them, but we built something similar this cycle at the request of many different campaigns. There are always things that we can do better. You know, call time is one of those things where there are so many different ways that people do call time. And we have built into the software a a ton of different ways to do that but you can always make that more seamless help people make more time and that's kind of something we always are working on one of the things i'm excited about that was really a 20-year project that we were never able to get done until recently was build your own call sheets we used to build custom ones i personally built hundreds of call sheets and then we had staff that all they did was all day, every day, build call sheets for, and a call clients. sheet being
0: the format of the data that a candidate looks at when they're deciding to try to reach out to someone right. and, and get a donation.
1: Exactly, and the the work is never done. But you know that's something we've constantly been trying to iterate on.
0: How important is compliance, the filing of these reports, kind of the TurboTax sort of features? How important is that? to the campaigns that use us?
1: It's pretty critical, I would say, and I think it's kind of underpinned a lot of our success over the years, and it's pretty naive to think otherwise. Having that has always served as kind of an anchor for campaigns. Every campaign, anywhere, state, federal, whatever needs, and this extends to any political organization, they need to file a disclosure report. This is just how our country works. Everyone needs to say who they raise money from and who, what they spend their money on. And every state has their own version of this. They are all complicated in their own way and some are drastically well, more like complicated. tax forms. Basically. Exactly, yeah. they are tax forms in every state and everyone is different.
0: How many people at the company work on keeping those up to
1: date? Or- so we have a core team of four people that just works on that, mm-hmm. pretty much all day every day, and
0: and then a lot of support is exactly. around that as well.
1: You know, I remember when we were building this to build all the states, we did the math one time, and it was probably forty fifty person years of time in aggregate to build it all and you know the team at one point was i think eight to ten people when we were working on building new things and maintenance is obviously a lot easier but we're still building new reports now some state will change their system drastically and we'll have to respond to that
0: is there a sort of consultancy around that area of
1: <laughs> around compliance yeah. why yes there is yeah. This actually evolved pretty substantially over the last twenty years. I think the field was a lot more focused on in-house on in a campaign or in a pack. They had their own staff doing this, and that that field has become a lot more professionalized over the years.
0: So of the democratic compliance consultants,
1: how big of a space is that? I mean, there are well over a hundred. There are firms of various size. Some have 20, 30 people. Some are two-person companies, and it it really varies across the country. Some specialize in federal, some specialize in state, and some do various mixes.
0: So this is kind of an arcane subject, right? It is. the, The call time that candidates do, the compliance that they do, and you've had your hands in it for 20 years. Why is this a good job for you?
1: I was thinking about this on on the way over here, actually. And one of the jobs I had in high school was at H&R Block. At the time, I was collating, copying. This was at the very beginning of when taxes could be electronically filed, because I'm old. Over time, I picked up various additional responsibilities. I was helping proof people's reports and make sure the math add up and fixing validation errors and dealing with uploads and even as a kid that That started to click there. So hey, I was playing with government forms when I was a teenager And then you combine that with I was always a nerd. I was always into computers I was an economics and government major in college It it all came together in a strange way that has just kind of clicked
0: I think I saw like a TED talk or something about how important the first follower is like there's a leader sometimes and then there's the first follower in a social movement or the building of an organization or enterprise. And I think you had that, that role somehow here.
1: That's um, probably right. <laughs>
0: how do you think you changed or helped build the culture of the company?
1: There is probably a lot of my personality kind of built in into this and you know that includes get it done go the extra mile you know this is especially true on the support side i i continue to do tech support at various times i had a lot of affinity on the tech support side the customer support side but make sure the customer gets taken care of and consider the customers as partners
0: do you think that made a difference in the building of an enterprise for, in it, our case? It definitely did, especially
1: yeah. for a company that relied so much on word of mouth and we have and we continue to, that's huge. That's really important. You have to take care of your customers. You have to take care of your clients. And you know many of them have become good friends over the years, but you have to take care of your people
0: my memory of you is as somewhat of an irreverent chap that <laughs> that maybe the political correctness revolution hadn't enveloped you fully that <laughs> and that there was probably a a looseness to the company and one of the things that i think that maybe i purposely cultivated that people would be willing to talk back to me or state their opinion. You certainly had no shyness in saying, Nathaniel, uh, that, that's that what is a bad idea or <laughs> that's a terrible idea.
1: Um, that is true. And and I think actually, you know, that over the years kind of served us pretty well. We had an open lines of communication. Someone could tell me, they continued to tell me, no, Lou, this is really dumb. This is really bad. Don't do this. And that's important feedback to get. You don't want to be in a position where, you know, you're just doing something without getting that.
0: I mean, obviously, it's a a liberal company, a progressive company, a company that wants to treat people well internally. What do you think you learned about what helps retain good people? Because we still have a lot of people that have lasted for uh, over a decade. Oh, for sure, yeah. uh, Including, I think you're the probably the record holder, but uh, we're right up there.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, If you were going to give advice to someone else starting up a company or building a company along the way, what do you think helps make it an environment that people want to stay in?
1: So obviously you need to make people feel like they're being treated well. You need to actually treat them well, but they need to feel like they're being treated well. That obviously includes things like pay and benefits and stuff there. It extends to respect. You need to actually respect your workers, your your staff, your coworkers, and make them feel like they're respected. That's obviously a big part of it. I think one of the things we did really well was it did feel like family for many, many years, at least for me. And I think for a lot of the people that have stayed for a long time, you know, they grew up in this company, but they felt okay to grow up here. People have gone through, you know, dating, marriage, divorce, children, all of these things. And it, you know, the company was supportive and they were a part of it. And it.
0: Well, you were a single man when we started. I was. And then you became a married man and then had two children. I remember celebrating the birth of your first child and there was a cheer in the (laughs) hallway.
1: That is true. All of these things was. And I think everyone, like, I always felt supported in everything and i think a lot of people did
0: how much do you think the mission we had a pretty clear mission we still do do you think that was a helpful part
1: definitely and i almost look at it a little different from mission and obviously the mission was and remains a huge part of it because people come to work with us because we want to elect democrats or do good with various you know nonprofits. it's Mission, but it's also purpose. The two really go hand in hand. So you want to feel like you're doing good for good people. And that's what hopefully we've been able to do and can continue to do.
0: We had some quirky things that we did back in the day retreats. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's traditional now, but the foosball table, the, you know, different things that people did to sort of have fun within the company environment. Do you think that matters or not really? It
1: it definitely does. And I think it it kind of contributed to the overall environment. You know, we used to every year go up to your farm in Vermont. And that was great. And sure it was it was an offsite retreat and everyone was hanging out and having fun and but you definitely felt like you were getting closer to your colleagues. And that was a big part of it. I do love that we've really never been a company that had work retreats. You know, we had fun retreats and it was about getting to know your your coworkers. That over the years has always been kind of a high point.
0: One of the things that is really different since I left, although we had done it a little bit beforehand, was the sort of the acquisitions that we're going through right now, a bunch of other political technology firms are being incorporated into the NGP Every Action thing. How does that play out in your part of the company? Does that add responsibility to
1: you? I mean it. It depends on which tool we're we're talking about. And I focus on the political and the compliance side, and you know some of the. Companies we've recently acquired do work in that space. Like who? Um, So ActionKit and their uh, tool set that's primarily on the digital side. But now that they're part of the family, we can work on better integrating our tools. You know, the same is true of the BSD tools team we recently have acquired as well. We're working on how do we better talk to folks and talk to the tools, get the tools to integrate better, make a better experience for the customer.
0: I mean, we integrated VAN. That took some time. Before that, there were a few other small ones. Um, Win Campaign. Win Campaign and
1: uh, Patent Technologies. Yeah.
0: Do you think... You get better at pulling these acquisitions in over time. They're so much bigger now.
1: There there are certain things that, just the mechanics of this, that you certainly do get better at. And obviously size matters. It's very different to acquire a five-person company versus a 30-person company. That definitely makes a difference. I think we've always gone slow. This goes back to the merger of ngp software and van this goes to the various other tools we always were focused more on take care of the clients make take care of the people first do no harm first do no harm i i remember right after the ngp and van merger this was back in the beginning of 2011 we rolled this out. We told people, hey, we're doing this. And one of the early calls was from the Obama reelect campaign. And we're like, no, 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 don't worry. We're not going to break anything, we promise. And we really stuck to that. It's, it came with trade-offs. It meant we were slower to integrate both as a company and you know as a tool set and all of that. But we were really focused on not doing any harm and taking care of everyone in the process
0: technologically, what do you think our biggest mistake has been along the way?
1: There have been a lot of mistakes, but I think it's more underestimating cost on various pieces. Well, actually, funny old story was when we were initially talking about building the initial online version of NGP, I think we went through three different you know, attempts of like, oh, that's super easy. I can take your tiny little database tool and I can put it online for like $5,000 or $10,000. Right, we hired an outside firm to do that. Exactly. And then that was a disaster. And then we
0: eventually, you know. Because we didn't feel confident about our exactly. our abilities to build online tools at that, because we were a client-server application. Exactly.
1: And, you know, we finally, quote-unquote, got it right. And I think we spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on it And then we brought someone internally and even then we had no idea how much it would take at the time and we figured it out. It took a really long time. When we built the next version, we said, you know what, we're going to start from scratch. And again, I think that was, that's really hard. And when you have- That may have been a mistake. Like I don't know if it was a mistake, but we definitely underestimated the time and cost. And one of the things that over the years we've done, we've done well, I'll say well, is, you know, we've done lots of little things to take care of a customer need. Like, oh, we'll do this little feature for you here, this little feature for you here. And when you rebuild, you have to take all of that into account. And that's, that's really hard. So
0: if, if you were talking to, I don't know, the CEO of a 10 person company who's trying to make these decisions, trying to prioritize where to put in resources into their technology, what general advice might you have to them?
1: Technology is hard. And that's, I think, really kind of a blanket statement. It's not like there aren't great technologists out there or anything like that. But it is always going to take longer than you think it will. And there will always be unforeseen. So you need to account for that. And you're either going to account for it on the front side or the back side, just to give you an example, an FEC report, we have filed thousands and thousands of FEC reports. And to this day, we still find things that, oh, I actually want it to look like this. I want it to do this. The FEC changed their mind. And that is one narrow piece of what is actually a very complicated stack. So if you're going to rebuild all of that, that is a pretty huge undertaking. And we've done it. And we've done it successfully in a number of places. And
0: it's kind of a remarkable thing to have watched a company grow from a couple people pretty steadily, I think almost monotonically increasing in size <laughs> <laughs> from day one to day whatever we're up to, which it's is quite a really lot. Bizarre, it's really bizarre, yeah. I mean, I remember someone referring to it as a juggernaut way back when, and I think it's remained that way. If you had to put your finger on the secret to that success or the secrets, what might they be?
1: Well, try not to screw up. I say that, but I think we were always really good as a company about not losing customers. You know, we... We were kind of fanatical about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And I
0: think still remain that way, mostly. Exactly. Yeah. We,
1: we took that really seriously. And if someone was ever, you know, saying... We found out someone was really unhappy. We're like, okay, we're going to try and fix this. What are we going to do? We don't want to lose you.
0: Back in the day, I feel like we competed very hard against a number of other campaign software firms as they were called back then. And it felt like a very zero sum game. Like either they were gonna use us or they were gonna use someone else. It wasn't like now, sometimes they will use lots of different technology firms and we can, we can collaborate and, and root for each other. But back then it felt very much like either uh, Aristotle was gonna get them as a client or someone else. Everything was a win
1: or a loss. It it definitely felt very competitive, and we took it personal. Mm-hmm. If they ever left us, it was personal.
0: And almost they almost never did. I know. Yeah.
1: And you know, I'm I'm actually you know very proud of the fact that pretty much everyone who like chose to leave us, you know, I believe they all came back at <laughs> So o- over time, because we. I like to think that not only did we, you know, take care of our customers, but like we were the best tool out there. And that matters.
0: (laughs) What it feels like to me is there was just a certain kind of persistence that we exhibited that even when we had difficulties, we were always trying our best to keep people happy. Even like in 2006, we had a few days where we couldn't keep the, the product up online it was it i remember it was, that yeah <laughs> it was terrifying and we it, couldn't it figure was. out what some there was some bug in microsoft or something that we couldn't find it
1: was and, we, we it, basically hit a scaling error issue yeah. and yeah. it we were effectively down for a couple days but we pulled out of that we
0: made her apologies and we worked really hard to not have something like that I, ever happen again
1: i think it came through to the customers that even when we weren't doing you know as well as we should like we were really trying and that was pretty important
0: is there any product that you wish we had built that we just didn't because we didn't have bandwidth
1: of course <laughs> I and mean, i've always wanted to build an accounting tool to better integrate the fundraising and the compliance with accounting people had to use QuickBooks, and QuickBooks was terrible. And
0: QuickBooks is very good, but it's not really customized, and it's not really integrated. It's
1: not designed for a campaign. Yeah. Do,
0: you, do you think that'll ever be something we ever build? I
1: hope, I hope so. It might. You there, know, we, we still talk about it to this there day. There is a
0: budgeting tool out there. Have you run into that?
1: Uh, Warchest? Yes. Yeah.
0: Any thoughts about it?
1: I haven't actually seen it. I've heard a number of good things about it. So, yeah.
0: You just came over to my house we're sitting in my home office right now um where did we go when you first arrived
1: <laughs> we went back up to the infamous attic the actual attic of nathaniel's house where we started this all
0: how did that feel
1: it looks very different <laughs> we, we carpeted it exactly but it's it's a walk down memory lane There. Yeah. I, sure, we were. There were two of us in a confined space for two years. Yeah, until we moved on to a bigger space. But that was
0: two years of of contending with my personality. It, You're probably scarred for life.
1: Right? A little bit, but <laughs> no. It was we we had fun. Yeah, and we did some good stuff.
0: I have this feeling about the first twenty employees, the first thirty employees. That's like, you know, it's something akin to love. You know, you go through this journey together you get closer necessarily not every single person but like you said it feels like family i wish for a lot of people the kind of life experience we had this this time when you're kind of making something out of nothing in a, in a space that is the intersection yeah. of interests like you had
1: it was a great ride and you know it obviously helped that we were successful like that's obviously a big thing. Got fairly lucky. And, you know, yeah. we also were you were really cautious about yeah. about things. I mean, you know, for for better and for worse, probably, yeah. but we we were as a company very risk averse. We only hired what we thought we could absorb.
0: We never hired a head of revenue. We were bootstrapped. We didn't raise any money. So we hired when we could pay somebody, it, exactly. which is kind of a 19th century way of building a company, but right.
1: And <laughs> or we, or maybe earlier, <laughs> and we, we worked hard, but we didn't kill ourselves. And we kind of had that right. Size.
0: Sometimes we would go outside and throw a football around or yeah. pl- mini golf
1: or maybe. something like that. And yeah. yeah, we were, we were able to work that in. So it's not like today's startup culture. So it was manageable.
0: Yeah. Can you trace sort of the different locations that we worked in starting in that attic?
1: I can, yeah, so we started in your attic yeah. uh, and that's actually pretty much how I mark time is election cycles and where we were at the time right so It
0: actually started before you. I started in an apartment in Woodley Park, then we moved bought this house, you came on board and
1: exactly yeah. so we so we were here, and then we spent about two years here right after. Like, immediately after we hired the uh, third person, uh, we moved to an office suite on Nebraska and Connecticut, uh, right by where Politics and Prose is.
0: We, I still have the plastic letters that were put up yeah. on that wall, because you had to, um, in my wood shop over there. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, we were there for two years, and then we, we outgrew that. We moved into a... Row House on on Connecticut, a few blocks away from there. So we spent probably the first six years in Chevy, the Chevy Chase area up in Northwest. Um, at that point, we had kind of continued to grow, so we actually got a satellite office uh, for sales yeah. for for the sales team. A few blocks up, we didn't want to be in that situation for too long, so we moved uh, downtown to eleven oh one Vermont. We've been in that area ever since, so we moved into like pretty traditional office space and, you know, slowly filled that up. We were picking up you know the back end of leases so we could get out of them pretty quick and we needed to get out of them pretty quick because we we kept kept needing more space it's weird right we kept growing
0: and and so we went through a series of offices in that 1225 i downtown dc now now you're on new york and thinking of moving again is that right
1: exactly and yeah yeah, we we have a whole floor and we're outgrowing it and
0: and and a a lot of room in boston exactly
1: we have a couple offices in boston now with the bsd tools acquisition and we've had our office like the the old van office the Bo- the NGP van Boston office is they've kind of gone through the same thing but they've expanded in that building and they've just consumed various parts of that building over the years and they've kept growing as well
0: I've been out of the company for quite a number of years now how would you say the culture is now
1: it's necessarily very different from when we were a tiny a tiny company we have more management layers, we have more structure. And those are necessary things as you grow. We have an IT team of many people. We have corporate IT as opposed to, hey Lou, install this antivirus program on all these three computers. You know, we have HR. We we didn't really have HR for many years. You know, it's a pretty normal thing, but we we have like a real HR program. It's it's definitely evolved. We I think we've tried to continue at least some of the you know some of the good things that from when we were smaller we still do retreats and you know we just announced we're going to do another retreat for everyone after the election. Where are you going? Don't know yet looking forward to it (laughs) it's always somewhere warm (laughs) so we we've tried to do a lot of that you know we we social Friday and not too long ago it was beer Friday but like no that's not inclusive like we needed to do a better job and we did and i think we're we're more aware of those things as a company the company has grown we've aged we have kids we have different needs and i think we've tried to be really responsive to that so we're
0: in a in a time in the politics of our country which feels like it could really be more pivotal than ever before what do you think the role is of NGP Van in that ecosystem that's, that's working to oppose him?
1: And I think it's very much support the people who are on the front lines.
0: And what's the range of those sort of organizations that we're supporting I, beyond presidential candidates and senators and congressmen I, and so on?
1: Obviously, you start with the presidential candidates looking to take him on mm-hmm. and, you know, candidates up and down the ballot. You know, this extends to um, the DNC and the C and the DSCC, the National Democratic Committees, and we work with all of them. And so we want to support them in their mission. This extends to the unions and America Votes and State Voices and a lot of these groups that are doing organizing and like on the ground organizing to get people out to do stuff. And this extends to a lot of the advocacy organizations doing, you know, various other good work. I like to think of it as like logistics and supply for a lot of these you know people who are on the front lines providing them with the tools they need to win.
0: What was the worst time for you along the way? I went away for my wedding too, right? Left you alone. Oh, you, in 2000 a couple yeah, days.
1: You, oh, I I had been on the job for Four months, four mm-hmm. and a half, not five months, mm-hmm. and you went out to get married and like in Colorado, yeah. Hey, good for you, you <laughs> got married. <laughs> but I was left holding the bag in the middle of our filing time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the the hardest times were really the 2016 race in general yeah. was a really rough time. Obviously, how it ended was really rough and i think the emotional toll it took on a lot of people i was, feel like
0: i went to that retreat right after that election that last retreat you know, i've been on and it was like a it was it was like a funeral
1: it that felt really bad yeah. for people that had been around a while like i remember 2000 2004 and those we, were pretty rough too those, those but, weren't great but we it,
0: didn't lose to a wannabe dictator
1: It exactly i think we were probably optimistic about it won't be that bad and it turned out to be worse than anyone probably could have reasonably imagined but at the time it still felt really terrible that was that was a rough time
0: what, what do you think was the most fun time
1: the retreats have always been kind of the fun times i think sharing the wins you know both the political wins the company wins that's probably been the the most fun times. It is family in a lot of ways and sharing those good things with Do you think that board.
0: do you think that family feeling extends out to the clients?
1: I hope so. I think for some of them it certainly does. There are clients that I I have known for 20 years that are still with us. I've known for 10 years. We've gone through life events with them alongside it. Oh, you just had a kid that's so great. Oh my God, your kid is now 13. Like that's in a lot of ways, I think that has been the case. I've seen people who went from staffer on a campaign to candidate to bigger candidate to cabinet secretary. Like we've seen a lot of these things over time that you know have definitely watching people grow and that's that's great how much interest do you take
0: in sort of the since you're in the compliance field in the regulatory system around it does it distress you that the federal election commission is like a body that can't enforce its own law or has decided not to i mean how much do you pay attention to that sort of stuff
1: and i've always paid attention to it out of necessity and out of interest as well the, the FEC is not the happiest place right now. It was structurally set up as, you know, it's not supposed to be t- have too many teeth, right? From the start, even back in the 70s when they initially designed the FEC, it was designed to have a 3-3 split of commissioners. So they were never going to be the, like, actual election watchdog. And to see where it is now where they literally can't do anything.
0: I mean, how much do you think that affects a 2020 election? Wouldn't they be the body that would enforce a law saying you can't invite foreign interference in, into your election? You can't get something of value from an, from another <laughs>
1: country. <laughs> they certainly keep trying to remind people of those rules that, you know, this is what a gift from a foreign body would actually look like from a foreign government. Oh, it's an illegal contribution. I mean, the the real answer is FEC jail is not actually a thing, even though people think it's a thing. Like, But they're, they're not set up to be able to really sink their teeth into anything. And under any circumstances, it'll take them too long to act on something.
0: Any of the candidates taking public funds right now in the way that that system was designed to for presidentials?
1: At the moment, they there are not, but there are folks that are actively talking is about thinking it. about it. I think right? exactly that seems to be, you know, circulating in the press, and that's going to be a tough road because I literally don't know if the FEC is even going to be able to act on any of it.
0: It might be a good. Move for a candidate who wasn't going to raise the money, mm-hmm. but it, but if they happen to get the nomination, yep. then it might hamstring them, right? It,
1: exactly. So yep. they're, you know, I'm pretty sure anyone who gets through the primary will wind up not doing um, federal funds for that. So this will probably only be for the primary race. But even then, it, the limits around spending, if you're going to take matching funds. Are limiting and they do come with a cost that's actually why people abandoned it for the primary Obama and Hillary were kind of the first ones in 08 to forego that and that's because they wanted to be able to spend more in the key states as part of that as part of the battleground and that that changed the culture around this pretty dramatically at this point the FEC is not well situated to handle that.
0: What do you see as the role of state
1: parties in this time? It varies, is the real answer. State parties can do things in ways that um, very few other organizations can. They're literally designed to be able to do certain types of activities. They run the coordinated campaigns. They take care of all of that. You know, They're a critical resource for the party some of them are run better than others some of them and in general i think we that is probably one of the things we let that infrastructure i don't want to say wither entirely but they were not supported as well as they could have been over the years and that's you know they're working on rebuilding that do you keep
0: mementos of your journey at all
1: around the house i have a lot of the old lefties that we have the foam donkeys with yeah, with the old logos, I mean I have a series of the old business cards. I remember the first sets of business cards were designed in Microsoft Word, and we printed them ourselves and <laughs> pictures with candidates and stuff like that. I've never really been heavily into that, but there's a great one from a Christmas party at the Clinton White House <laughs> that I love.
0: What is a question that I failed to ask that I should have asked you?
1: When I was coming over to do this, the thing I was thinking about was, why are you still doing this after 20 years? So I'll answer that question. I mean, it's it's weird in this space to be in the same place for, for that amount of time. It's been a really long and never boring road. It's been fun and know good people make a big difference to get you through the not great times so that was really it
0: what do you think are the greatest misconceptions about ngp van every action out there that maybe you can dispel
1: probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that we don't care i certainly do and i think we've imprinted that on a lot of the staff up and down. We hire people from the community. We hire people who work campaigns, who are organizers, um, who have worked at advocacy organizations, all of that. People's success is personal to us in a lot of ways. And as we've grown, as we've instituted process and all of that, I think people have often forgot about that. And, you know, we have always been pretty flexible about a lot of things. I do a lot of favors for a lot of people. As you get bigger, there's obviously certain limits that get placed on that, but I think we are a company of a lot now, a lot of people that really actually care, a lot of smart people that are doing some good stuff.
0: Uh, so I think that's it's good to be part of something like that. Lou, it's been an honor to talk to you today. Oh,
1: this has been... Both a fun walk down memory lane, but also it's it's been great. And I, I listen to the podcast. It's a great right, podcast. Right.
0: Well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to say?
1: Actually, one, one last thing, I guess, is that, you know, obviously you, Stu, you know, there are just a number of people that, like, my success would not be possible without. And it's just been great to be along for that ride. Who
0: else has been key for you.
1: I mean, folks like Danielle Acosta, who basically does all the disclosure reports that I promise people will get done. Uh, folks like Craig Lebowitz who's our chief architect. And, you know, some of the folks from back in the day, Eric and Hawa and Aaron and Tim and like these folks have all been huge, relatively low key parts of the company's success. But the people we worked with over the years were such a huge part of it and i could name check half the people there but yeah and
0: i think also it's, it's not just them but it's also clients that recommended us hundreds of times and you know led to the reputation that we had in the early days which was quite quite stellar and yeah. and one thing led to another so exactly it's been quite a journey
1: yeah so it's but, been great thanks Lou. <laughs> thanks
0: So that was lou levine at ngp van he's at ngpvan.com i look forward to hearing more about how ngp van is helping democrats win this is nathaniel g perlman with the great battlefield podcast you can find us at resistance dashboard.com or by searching for great battlefield in places where podcasts are found i don't say this much but i would appreciate your subscribing to the podcast and leaving comments on iTunes and elsewhere, and sharing this with friends. And if you have suggestions for people I should interview, please email me at nperlman at gmail.com.